time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Lots to get to on this Wednesday edition of Scoops with Danny Mack. I'm Dan McLaughlin. The text line is open, 65780. If you want to jump in, the Air Comfort Service text line, it is 10.05, and that is a time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. We'll visit with Brian Walton. A lot of baseball talk in this edition of the program. We start with baseball. We're going to run through a lot of different things that are happening in sports and some Mizzou football news in just a moment. Fifth former MVP to win manager of the year, joining Kirk Gibson, Joe Torrey, Don Baylor, Frank Robinson, and now you can say Don Mattingly. This is an organizational thing. You know, this doesn't happen without a great staff, you know, without the organization around you who's setting you up with players, front office making moves during all that stuff that was going on early. You know, and, and the players believe in what we, we talked about, that this was something that could happen. So, um, you know, all of that. Uh, the only way that happens is with a great organization. So uh, they're just they're just different. And like the first one feels personal, and this one feels more like a team thing. And and that's why I'm, I'm proud of it because we've struggled for a couple of years. And for us to move forward is 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 important. And I think this is a sign that we're on in heading in that direction. Yeah, 105 losses the year before. This year, COVID hits them, knocks them out. They use 61 players in six games. Mike Schilt, by the way, finished sixth. To me, he's got to be in your top three with everything that he went through. The team was very close to being shut down. Don Mattingly said in his press conference yesterday, they also were close to being shut down. Buddy wins the manager of the year, and so many people love Donnie Baseball. Congratulations to Don Mattingly. American League, the award went to Kevin Cash. Now, remember, these awards are voted on before postseason play. He was asked about it again. He'll be asked about it a lot. How often he thinks about his Game 6 move in the World Series taking out Blake Snell. It enters my mind every single day. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are not going to allow that, but I, I understand it. I respect it, and I think we're all in these positions to, to give the best answers possible, and the thought was that was what we thought was the best, or I thought was the best thing to do to help us win the game. Unfortunately, it didn't work. It's a, it was a sickening outcome, uh, but that's the way it goes. But just so proud of this team and, and want the focus so badly to go back on how special of a group the Tampa Bay Rays were this year. And it will, but still, people are going to talk about that move for many, many years. Speaking of managers, Alex Cora back with the Boston Red Sox after sitting out this season because of baseball's cheating scandal. I deserve what happened this year it was something that is something that i'm not proud of it but you know we went through the whole process with the commissioner's office office the department of investigations and at the end you know i got my penalty and i serve it i want to apologize to the organization to put him in such a, a tough spot coming into the season you know i never that's what was gonna was gonna happen i, I never thought i was gonna be in that situation, but I was. So A.J. Hinch, Alex Cora, they get back in baseball, but they serve their suspensions, and yet no players are punished, and that's where the rub lies. No players were punished for this. How do the players not get punished for that? Buster Olney of ESPN. I've never seen anger over an incident hold the way that this one has. In other words, people with other teams are still furious about the Astros, and they, I think they always will be. And there is a feeling that the Astros players in particular have not really 
owned up and understood why it is that people with other teams are upset. But there was an assumption all along that A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora were going to be back quickly in jobs because they're two of the best managers in baseball. Alex, I, I thought at the outset of this, after the Red Sox let Ron Renneke go, I thought they would be crazy if they didn't rehire Alex, especially for a big market team in Boston, high scrutiny market. I mean, you have an opportunity to hire a manager who's had success, who's one of the best managers in baseball, who connects with players so incredibly well. And the cherry on top is that he's been in that market. <laughs> like, he understands the media. He knows the media members from the time as a player, from his time as a manager. And think about how Heim Bloom, the head of baseball operations, would have been set up for an absolute disaster next year if he had hired a first-time manager in Boston and the Red Sox struggle. And that is the expectation that they probably will in 2021. He would have gotten destroyed. The new manager would have gotten destroyed. Bringing Alex back buys Heim two years. He uh, you know, sets in his own program. My guess, this isn't going away. And if fans are in the stands next year, just wait because the players are going to hear all about it. Altuve, Correa, others. That is not going away. So those managers, they paid their punishment, if you will took their medicine. They're back in the game. The players go away unscathed. The Mets introduced their new owner yesterday, and this is going to get interesting. Steve Cohen, and he wants to win right now in the Big Apple. When the Mets win the World Series, like, is it going to be one year, team, three? Like, what is your standard for that? Well, you know, only one team wins the World Series every year, right? So that's a pretty high bar. But if I don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, you know, I'd like to make it sooner. Then, then, you know, obviously, you know, I would consider that slightly disappointing. Could you imagine being a Mets fan waking up this morning and you hear your owner say that it'd be disappointing if we don't win a World Series in three to five years? You would love to hear that. He's a local guy. He's from Long Island. He's worth about 15 to 17 billion dollars. He's the richest owner right now in baseball, and he wants to spend and win now. College football. Here are the postponements already this weekend. Alabama at LSU. Texas A&M Tennessee, Navy, Memphis, all COVID related. Auburn has suspended football activities. Arkansas coach Sam Pittman test positive. And now Mizzou and Georgia, as we just found out in the last 10 minutes, that also has been suspended this weekend. What does it mean for the SEC? Heather Denich of ESPN. On Tuesday, all 14 SEC athletic directors agreed that December 19th, which is the day of the SEC conference championship game, that should also be used as a makeup date. So that's why they didn't entirely close the door on Alabama. Alabama LSU and say it's canceled. Now, Alabama is obviously the front runner to win the West and play in that SEC championship game. And if that happens, then the LSU game would probably be canceled. But look, at the end of the day, the college football playoff selection committee does not need to see Alabama play a struggling LSU team to figure out if it's one of the top four teams in the country. So you're out of runway. Now SEC teams are losing games. We've already seen that happen in the Big Ten. The Pac-12 is just getting underway. So it begs the question again, should there be an expanded college football playoff this year. In my mind, there's no doubt about it because there's going to be teams that don't play their full schedule. They are one of the best teams in the country. And if you just go on record and what's happening, uh, they should be in. So why not expand it to eight? It's what people want anyway. And you're not adding more games to, let's say, a 12-game schedule, which is what a lot of people fought for and said, nah, that's too much for the kids. Well, you're not doing that now. And also, what I always say about any of this stuff, 
follow the money. College basketball, A-10 Media Day. SLU men's team is predicted to finish second. Hassan French, Jordan Goodwin, Javante Perkins, all were preseason picks on various lists. SLU women's team, by the way, has halted their practices. They begin a two-week quarantine. By the way, folks, college basketball, the season starts November 25th. So if you're the women's team, you're out for two weeks and then you got to tip off the season. Duke announced no fans in their stands all season long. Their director of baseball operations, uh, basketball operations, excuse me, is Nolan Smith. The main thing that we're stressing during this time is who who are we going to be when that ball goes up? You know, at the end of the day, people are going to still come into Cameron Indoor Stadium and know that they're, you know, amongst a lot of history. They're going to still see the banners. They're still going to, there's still going to be some jitters, but with no fans, that obviously takes away a huge part of, of the home court advantage for us away. We we definitely understand that, but the energy and the fight that our guys can bring, you know, that's going to start with the locker room talk, the defensive room talk, the energy on the court, the music, the atmosphere that we can create for ourselves. It's going to be it's going to be huge, and our players know that they're prepared for that because they're prepared for a season. At the end of the day, when you get between them lines, you got to bring it. Well, how odd is that going to be? Cameron Crazies not there in 2021. Duke, North Carolina with no crowd. Again, we've seen it in all the other sports. You have to adjust, but that's what we're looking at in a college basketball season. Wichita State, by the way, late news last night as this pertains as they were formerly of the Missouri Valley Conference, St. Louis-based. Looks like Greg Marshall is going to get fired. So that news came out late last night. John Rahm, 12-1 to odds to win the Masters. Jay Delsing's pick, as he told us yesterday, the Vegas favorite, Bryson DeChambeau. I was watching him on the tee. Could he drive number one at the Masters? This dude is absolutely crushing the golf ball. I will say that I have no idea where the end game is on this. You know, I've only seen improvements in distance. I've only seen uh, strength increases. I've only felt better every day so i really don't know where the end game is on this but i will say that i am hitting it further now than i was at shriners i am hitting it further than the u.s open um and i'm trying you know a driver this week that uh, may help me hit it even a little bit further so we'll see i don't know it's still uh, up in the air it's almost a 50 inch driver he could drive number one potentially at the Masters. Some think he can't do it. There's others are saying he might be able to. It's incredible. Tiger Woods won it last year. Yesterday, very emotional and talking about what that meant to him. I mean, I still get chills just thinking about it. Uh, feelings, you know, coming up 18 and and knowing that uh, all I had to do is just you know, two putt that that little uh, 15 footer and you know see my my, my family there and my, my mom and my kids and and all the people that. Uh, help support me or were there for me during the, the, the tough times. And I was walking up there to just trying not to lose it and say, hey, I still got a two-putt this. And then when I walked off the back of the green, you know, to see Charlie there and just open open up our arms and it, it, it meant a lot to me and it still does. And uh, it just reminded me so much of me and my dad. And uh, to come full circle like that, uh, it, it still gives me, you know, a little teary. I don't know about you. If Tiger is on the course at the Masters, I don't care if he's five back, ten back. I'm watching Tiger Woods. He still must see TV with golf. But what about his chances to possibly win this? He hasn't been playing very well. Andy North of ESPN. 
Well, I think you look at how he's come into 2020, he's not playing anywhere near at the caliber of golf that he was putting on in 19. He prepared and was gone through his normal spring practice to get where he needed to be. This is just a totally different animal. He hasn't played very much golf, and when he has played, he hasn't been anywhere near the standards he would like. His putting has probably been his biggest thing to let him down, and as he talked about in the media session today, is that he hasn't been able to put all the aspects of his game together at any one time. And I think you hear a lot of players talk about that, but very seldom the really great players and somebody like Tiger Woods. So he's got to figure out a way to drive the ball well, get it in play, hit some iron shots like we've seen him play over the last two or three years. He's iron play has been probably the, the best part of his game over the last couple of years. And then he's got to figure out a way to putt. He figured that out last year. He didn't putt very well on Thursday, but then had a great putting week the rest of the week. That was the key to his win. My pick, Brooks Kepka. Love him in majors. We'll see how it pans out. From the 314 baseball, Danny Mack, love the show. Long memories. Totally agree with you. Houston asterisks debacle has not been resolved. And by the way, circle May 4th, 5th, and 6th, Astros travel to the Yankees. Please, capital letters, let there be fans in the stands. They're going to hear it. Do you remember spring training when people brought trash cans and stuff there? You think we're going to see that still? Uh, In spring training, I don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands. But if there are, yes, because it's not going away. Fans want their they're pound of flesh still. They didn't get it. We were doing games against the Astros. We're right there with them. Fans were going nuts. They were making loud noises. They were banging on their seats. Yeah, I don't think fans are going to forget this at all. I was in Texas when it was going on, when spring training was going on here earlier in 2020, and I remember the feeling around Houston and around uh, the San Antonio area was, oh my gosh, this is going to be every single every game. game. And once, once the pandemic hit, it was, oh my gosh, they just got off scot-free. And well, now I'm I'm genuinely curious to see if it's going to carry over next year. Altuve will hear about it. Correa is going to hear about it. Probably Reddick hears about it. AJ Hinch is still going to have to answer questions about it. Alex Cora is still going to have to answer questions about it. Now they paid their price, if that's what you want to call it, sitting out a truncated season of 60 games and not really having to face the media through all this. Uh, but it's going to be front and center again what are you doing the biggest stories for me going into spring training is the cba if it's not done yet and this will be one of the top three or four stories just if especially if fans are there they're going to let them hear about it there's no doubt about it more of what you want to hear scoops with danny mack in podcast form on 101 espn Every Wednesday, a chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Great minor league information as well as major league information on the St. Louis Cardinals and baseball as a whole. And you can find it at thecardinalnation.com. We visit with Brian every Wednesday. As always, Brian, good to hear your voice. How are things going? Uh, It's going great, Dan. It's a pleasure to be on as always. You got it. Uh, Let's start with the manager of the year. We've got Don Mattingly in the National League. I thought it should go to Don Mattingly. I was disappointed Mike Schilt wasn't even a finalist. You had David Ross on there. You had Jace Tingler. Goes to Don Mattingly. I have no problem with this. I thought he should win it. Mike Schilt came in sixth. Uh, He got three second-place votes and and one third-place votes. Uh, You know, frankly, I think the whole whole finalist thing is just non-news anyway. Whether David Ross came in fourth or Brian Snicker third or Brian Snicker came in fourth, who cares? I mean, I just wish they'd announce the dang winners and, and shares. But whatever. Don Mattingly, very deserving. Uh, he got 20 first place votes 
uh, more, you know, double the, of what all the other candidates got together. And I think we all saw that the challenges that the Miami Marlins faced early on with all the COVID cases and, you know, the fact that their farm system wasn't nearly as rich as St. Louis's with major league ready players. So they had to go out and, you know, basically sign and, and grab a bunch of guys off the waiver wire. And he did a very good job of keeping his team, you know, in contention and, you know, making the playoffs. And I think they certainly far exceeded anybody's expectations. And I think for that reason, uh, Manningly was a, a, was a great choice. Over in the American League, Tampa Bay's Kevin Cash, and this is done before uh, postseason play. So don't worry about that Game 6 decision in the World Series. Uh, how did you think uh, that fell to Kevin Cash? Were you happy with it? Well, you know, you look at what Tampa Bay is able to do with a minimum amount of payroll. Now, you know, a lot of that is certainly the front office that puts together the team. But, you know, Cash has to push the buttons of putting the right guys in the lineup and the right combination of guys. And, you know, it's it's overstated, and there's no doubt. But the American League East is a difficult division. The, the Red Sox are down a tad now. But uh, Toronto's always tough. The Yankees are always tough. And for them to excel the way that they did, Again, I, I think that's a very good choice. It's it's disappointing to see uh, Rick Renteria, who came in a strong second, you know, lose his job again the second time in Chicago as the uh, their respective clubs wanted a, a more name brand manager. Uh, but you know, Kevin Cash was uh, you know pretty much the landslide winner in the American League, and again, I think that was a, a very good choice. I am fascinated to see what happens with the Mets with new ownership and a guy that's got really deep pockets. He is a Mets fan, and he claimed yesterday that within three to five years he thinks they can win a world championship. He'd be disappointed if they didn't win a world championship. So how do you think this changes the game a little bit in terms of what they may do and going out and trying to sign some of the top free agents in baseball as we look forward? Well, I think Steve Cohen uh, did a very good thing, and obviously he's a smart cookie or he wouldn't be as wealthy as he is. But, you know, he went out and, uh, you know, had a – had a Zoom call, actually went directly to the fan base and, and you know, and, and the Mets fan base has been long suffering under the, you know, the prior ownership that had their issues with the, uh, you know, made off in the Ponzi scheme and they didn't have enough money to really invest in the club. And Steve Cohen's really been, you know, come in and been a breath of fresh air. But on the baseball side, he's bringing in Sandy Alderson to be uh, the team president. He's going to bring in a baseball operations exec under him. So they're going to bring in people who, and Sandy Alderson, very well respected. I mean, he goes back to the A's, uh, you know, when Larusa was there. So, and uh, you know, worked in worked in MLB's offices and really knows the game well. So they're going to put people in charge. You know what's going on. Steve Cohen's going to allow them to spend money, and that's certainly going to put the Mets in the group of a half a dozen eight you know, maybe teams that are going to be spending money this year when a lot of the other clubs like the Cardinals are looking to to tighten belts. And one of the other things that Cohen said I thought was very interesting was we need pitching and we need a good catcher. And, uh, you know, everybody knows that happens to be what the St. Louis Cardinals have on the market right now. So there's been no direct connection to Wainwright and Molina, but you'd think they would be certainly guys that, uh, that the Mets might want to take a look at among a number of other teams. Minor league teams, uh, crosstown in the Bronx, there was some frustration with the minor league affiliates and the future of those affiliates with the Yankees. I'm sure there's going to be some frustration as we get closer uh, to the baseball season and see the elimination of some minor league teams. What are you hearing on the whole with that, Brian? And then what do you think happens with the Cardinals? Well, it's interesting, Dan. The, you know, the one league that we that was basically the teams were owned by Major League Baseball, which is the Appalachian League, They've already been converted basically to a summer wood bat league. 
And what they, what baseball decided, Major League Baseball decided they do is they take uh, one league and have it be an entry-level league, you know, for the youngest players, have the Cape existing Cape Cod League be the league for the juniors, and then the New York Penn League, which is a league that State College, the other Cardinals affiliate affected by this uh, move, uh, that would be then part of a league that would have a summer wood bat league for college seniors right before the draft. And uh, the deadline was supposedly today, or well, actually yesterday on uh, Tuesday, for the New York Penn League teams to commit to say, hey, yes, I want to be a part of this wood bat league, or no, I do not. Now, there could be some other shuffling around as some teams might move from class to class or that type of thing. But, you know, st- the, the whole purpose of these moves, or one of the purposes, is to have better geographic concentration of teams. And State College is, you know, basically out in the middle of Pennsylvania. It's two and a half hours from Pittsburgh. Uh, sorry, from, uh, yeah, from Pittsburgh. And so, you know, there really aren't any clusters of teams around there. And so, the, you know, the challenge will be for State College, do they go to this wood bat league or do they, you know, potentially cease to exist? So the Cardinals are, you know, likely to run uh, with two fewer farm teams, State College and Johnson City, short season teams uh, being out of the system, which would create a very big jump from the Gulf Coast League the rookie level league where it's typically the entry level all the way to uh, class a uh, the other move that's rumored to occur is that the high a florida state league which is the next step up from class a which is peoria that those would actually switch levels and so the class a team for the cardinals would be in florida which makes sense they kind of keep everybody concentrated and then the uh, Peoria and the Midwest League, the teams that survived in that league, would then move to the high A classification. Sure. With the next step up being a double A um, Springfield. Wait, we need to get clarification on the designated hitter probably sooner than later. Free agency period is here, especially for National League teams. There's a talk of expansion of playoffs. How do you think this all unfolds for Major League Baseball? Well, I think everybody, and, and John Mozeliak talked about it on our Zoom call a couple weeks ago, you know, it would be ideal for everyone if some of these questions could get answered. Uh, the designated here, the expanded playoffs, uh, roster sizes, uh, you know, all those things. The challenge is that there are the same questions that had to be negotiated last year that took months for the players and owners to agree on have to be all negotiated again. What happens if they can't play 162 games? How much will the players get paid? At what rate? What about service time? All the same questions that they had to argue last year have to be argued again. And so the designated hitter is going to be perceived to be a give to one side and a takeaway from the other. And so the chances of that getting resolved quickly, as much as everybody might like it, probably isn't going to happen because it's going to get tied up in all these other big questions that have to get answered. And as much as that is a potential uh, inconvenience, the reality is if we go back to 2020, they didn't decide those things until, what, late May, early June, and everybody got along okay. Again, not ideal, but I'm not optimistic that they're going to pick off some of these easy ones and negotiate them with, until they solve all these other big questions. I hope I'm wrong. But that's what I, that's my take. That's Brian Walden of thecardinalnation.com. And uh, Brian, I'm going to ask you to stay through the break. There's a lot more I want to get to, especially concerning 
uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Want to tell you about Saliga. Now, they've been doing business out of the same location on Gravois since 1927, celebrating over 93 years in business. Fourth-generation, family-owned business, currently run by Dan Saliga. Dan and his team pride themselves on great customer service. They offer 100% satisfaction guarantee. So the weather, it is turning a little bit cooler. Supposed to be cold this weekend. You know it's time to turn on that furnace. And if you find that it's not working, not working efficiently, give Dan a call. Right now, Saliga is offering 36 months, no interest financing on any new furnace. 72 months, no interest financing on all new systems. Plus, they have American Standard rebates and Amron rebates. Saliga Heating and Cooling, the air quality expert. They have a special going on right now for our 101 listeners. You can ask for the Danny Mac Daddy Indoor Air Quality Special. You get a duct cleaning air scrubber, humidifier, blower wheel cleaning for only $16.95 for our listeners. Had a couple of listeners tell me they took advantage of this last week, came away completely satisfied, very excited about it. So this covers up to 10 registers for duct cleaning, 2,500 square feet for humidification. The number to call, Dan Saliga at 314-481-7333. Mention my name, 314-481-7333, or visit SaligaHeatingAndCooling.com. I'll continue the conversation. Some Cardinals talk with Brian Walton of TheCardinalNation.com next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. This is 101 ESPN, and uh, Brian Walton is with us from TheCardinalNation.com. And, uh, Brian, I appreciate you sticking on through the break because there is a lot of Cardinal news to get to and things that you've covered. One of the great things that you do that I really enjoy is your top 50 prospects countdown of the St. Louis Cardinals. Where I'm curious with this, though, is with no minor league season and tough to really get an idea of of evaluating and, and seeing guys how are you able to come up with your, your top 50 list, which is always fun to do in this offseason? Well, I was down in Florida for an instructional camp last January. Unfortunately, minor league camp, as most folks know, didn't ever really get started. Literally the same day that minor league camp was supposed to open was uh, uh, March 12th, which is when uh, baseball was basically shut down. Uh, we didn't have reporters in summer camp, but the Cardinals uh, reported. A number of sources told us about that. And scouts have continued to follow uh, teams in, in their instructional leagues. Cardinals didn't have an instructional league. But there's, you know, a lot of talent evaluators out there that are basically studying videos because uh, MLB had a, a basically a cross agreement that they would share videos and information from their alternate camps with each other. So even though we weren't in Springfield, we didn't get a lot of access, scouts do. And so this year I incorporated into our process uh, the work of a gentleman named Matt Thompson, who is the founder and runs a site uh, called Prospects Live, which focuses on uh, scouting reports for minor league players across the game. They have over 1,600 videos up on various prospects. And Matt Thompson specifically uh, is Cardinals-focused, has followed the Cardinals for a long time. And so he provides scouting reports based on the standard 2080 scouting scale on all the tools of the prospects. And then I write about their environment. Where, what kind of year did they have in 2019? Where, what camps were they in in 2020? What's the outlook for 2021? Where are they going to go for their careers? And so we're doing that for 50 prospects at the rate of one a day. We started uh, about, about a week ago, and this will take us basically through the end of the year. 
One of the interesting names you have is Delvin Perez, shortstop. He's a big kid, 6'3", 23rd overall pick in 2016. He dropped in that draft, but everybody thought, hey, this guy is a unique, tall, shortstop, talented kid. We've been waiting for him for a while now. Now we're heading into 2021. Where are we with a very familiar name if you follow the Cardinals in their minor league system, but Delvin Perez? Well, Delvin Perez just finished his fifth year as a professional, believe it or not. It seems like uh, yesterday, literally, that uh, the Cardinals picked him in the first round. He he fell a long ways because of a of a positive drug test, or he, you know, the rumors were that he might have gone, you know, as early as fifth or sixth in that in that draft. But uh, Delvin Perez has yet to demonstrate offensively the potential that he showed as a as a as an amateur and you know uh, drafted at the age of 17 and he was hitting in in showcases was hitting balls over the fences but in his four years to play and of course one year sitting out in 2020 he's only hit a total of two home runs as a professional and he just hasn't developed offensively as he needs to be he's basically a singles hitter and uh, he's got very good speed very good reflexes but isn't particularly good on the base pass either and the question is whether Delvin Perez's glove uh, and, and you know, plus play on the infield is going to be enough to get him to the major leagues. And the reason I say that is that even while he's young, turns turns 22 uh, soon, later this month, the reality is he has already become Rule 5 draft eligible. And what that is is a, is a draft that uh, allows organizations to select players off of out of other organizations that they think might be ready for the major leagues the Cardinals or other organizations would protect guys, move them to their 40-man roster, which exempts them from this Rule 5 draft. Delvin Perez isn't going to be protected. He's not going to be added to the 40-man roster because the reality is he's never played a game above low Class A at this point. And so, you know, he's just not ready to be on any major league roster this this coming year. And that's the rule. If you get if you get taken in Rule 5, you have to stay at the major league level or be returned to your prior team. And then two more years, and Delvin Perez can become a minor league free agent. And a player who's still four levels away from the majors, you know, Delvin Perez has got to get going with the bat in a hurry. This lost year certainly hurt him. Um, But he's got to get going in a hurry to be able to get to St. Louis before he's eligible to become a minor league free agent. He can go wherever he wants. Sure. Zach Thompson, I'm asked all the time who I think could be the next prospect that has not made it to the big leagues but could – see big league time in 2021 and the first name i mentioned high draft choice out of kentucky a left-handed pitcher a couple years ago uh zach thompson would you agree with that assessment zach thompson is a very very interesting guy he's a uh, left-hander uh solid plus fastball slider above average pitch he's got a curveball as well doesn't throw his change up as much but i mean a guy a lefty who's got four pitches and can you know get them over uh, and, you know, he can actually, you know, crank up to the mid-90s above if if he's in short bursts. So the question for a guy like Zach Thompson will be, will the Cardinals be tempted maybe to bring him ahead more quickly as a reliever? We've seen a number of, of players, you know, going back to uh, Carlos Martinez and others who started in relief because there wasn't a, a spot in the rotation and eventually then, you know, move into the rotation. The only concern, the only caveat is that, Zach Thompson in alternate camp in Springfield had a little bit of shoulder irritation and that slowed him down. Now the word is that by the end of camp, he was just fine. But one of the reasons that Zach Thompson fell to the Cardinals in the first round 
2019 was that he had had some shoulder issues at Kentucky as well. And so this is another thing to watch. And it, you know, you never know uh, with a guy with shoulder, you know, potential shoulder problems is relieving and a better thing for him or is starting every fifth day a better don't know. And I, I don't want to overreact about the shoulder issues with Thompson, but that was definitely a concern earlier in camp. Tommy Edmond, if it started tomorrow, would be the second baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals. And we've talked about it primarily in the minor leagues, shortstop. But he does have the ability to play all over the diamond. We saw that in the major leagues. Can play the outfield, can play third, he can play short, now second. Um, how do you think he'll fare as we look at, at him being potential everyday second baseman and, and seeing uh, the, the last of Colton Wong? I think that defensively, uh, Tommy Edmund is going to be a very steady player at second base. I think he'll make the routine plays. He won't make the spectacular plays that we saw Colton Wong make. Uh, but he certainly has more than enough arm. We saw that he has enough arm to play third. So that's not going to be an issue. He's a smart guy, so he'll be positioned well. Uh, you know, we haven't yet seen his chemistry in an extended period of time with, with Paul DeYoung at short, but I'm assuming that can be okay. So I don't think, I, I don't think second base will be, you know, he won't necessarily be a gold glove, uh, you know, type of candidate like uh, Colton Wong was, but I think he'll be solid there. I think the bigger question for me on Tommy Edmund is, you know, which offensive Tommy Edmund is it going to be? Is it going to be the guy that was, you know, just so-so this last year and, you know, put second in the batting order, but really didn't, you know, sparkle like he did as a, as a rookie in 2019. And, you know, it would be wonderful if one part of game of Tommy Edmonds game could be plus, if he could be a plus hitter like he was in his rookie year, or if he could be a plus defender, I don't think he's going to be a plus defender. Now, again, you said, as it is today, he's the second baseman. That's true. But, you know, the Cardinals still could sign a, a veteran second baseman or a veteran third baseman. And that might shuffle Tommy Edmond around. We, as you said before, we don't know about the DH, but I will tell you that if you look at the infield position for the St. Louis Cardinals, it's gotten thin in a hurry because we saw Max Schrock left. The Cardinals tried to get him through waivers, and he, he was claimed by the Cubs. Brad Miller's a free agent, gone. Colton Wong's gone. And really the only guy that they've got in the minor leagues to step in and fill the gap is Edmundo Sosa, who is, again, primarily a shortstop, but he can also play second and third. So you know, Sosa could be a guy to come in and be a backup, but – you look at the Cardinals infield and say, it seems like there could be a home for another major league tested player for a one-year deal or a two-year deal until we can see Nolan Gorman or, or Montero reach St. Louis. And it'll just depend on what the market is. I think the Cardinals could go either way. They could sign a second baseman or they could sign a third baseman because we know Edmund can play either place and, and do a respectable job. But of course, without a DH, you know, Matt Carpenter's is pretty well you know, tied to be your third baseman, at least, you know, most days. Absolutely. I'll let you go with this, Brian, because I appreciate your time. Uh, what are you working on at thecardinalnation.com in addition to your top 50 prospect list? Well, I'm going to be looking ahead at the Rule 5. I, I mentioned earlier that uh, that that draft will be coming up in early December as part of the virtual general managers or the virtual winter meetings. And by the 20th of this month, the Cardinals are going to have to decide uh, which prospects that they want to protect, put on the 40-man roster. But, of course, because the 40-man roster is limited in size, you kind of have to, you know, balance. You can't put all the guys on you want. You have to think about who might be taken or not. So we'll do some analysis there uh, as well. And then I'll also go back. I'm, I'm working on an article to talk about the strategy the Cardinals might take in the offseason if they want to be potentially a little more creative than the current path, which appears to be, 
try to sign Wainwright and, and Yachty and a few complimentary pieces. Always love it, Brian. Great info as always. Thanks for doing this, and uh, we'll catch you up next Wednesday. Thank you, Dan. That's Brian Walden of thecardinalnation.com. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Our thanks to Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com and our thanks to Jamie Rivers. He's in for the crossover. Ribs, BK, Alex are coming up next. And uh, you guys had Craig Berube on yesterday. That was must listen to radio. Really enjoyed it. What, you know, you're around this all the time. What did you take away from your visit with uh, Chief? Well, one thing, uh, Chief, you know, look at it in season. Sometimes Chief can be kind of reserved and whatnot. I felt he had a good energy. I, I did too. Yesterday. Like, I think I could tell, like, he's ready to get back at it. I think he still feels there's some unfinished business from last year. You can still hear it in his voice that not thrilled the way they went out in the bubble last year. And he's looking to correct that. And he's added Jim Montgomery to his staff, who's going to be an incredible addition for that staff, to an already great staff, mind you. And I think that. You know, I, I kind of grilled him a little bit because remember when they got eliminated from the bubble, he was like, some players weren't serious. Yeah. Some guys were, some players won't. So I asked him, I said, how are you going to stay on top of that this time over? And he did mention they got a new strength and conditioning coach. I don't know if that was part of the problem or if they just felt they needed to evolve. But it looks like he's on top of things. They're going to have way more, uh, you know, calls and meetings and Zooms and, you know, that stuff there to make sure everybody's on the same page. Yeah, you had to wonder guys going in the bubble because they were probably unsure as to whether or not it would ever even take place. So then you're a pro athlete. You're like, well, do I amp up? Do I do I push my body to the limits and then to be canceled? during an off season. So I'm sure that's probably what they're trying to figure out right now is, okay, if we've got, let's say late December, January 1st, February, whatever the case may be, but here's how we want you to schedule your body. Seriously. I mean, here's, here's how we want you to get it amped up until you have that set date. You just don't know. As far as I know, and talking to some of the players, they're using the January 1st date right now as their guideline. They're very aware that it could slide to February 1st, but as of right now, especially with the NBA moving forward and now the NHL governor's meeting uh, tomorrow, they're really going to be targeting January 1st. And the players, because of the escrow, they're, they're going to get paid one way or another. What, about 70 72% of their salaries, correct? Yeah, and the escrow, the one thing too, Dan, remember, is it's not a sliding escrow this year. They capped it. So guess what that means? The owners are going to be like, hey, we need you guys back to work because we're going to lose a lot more money. Yeah. If there was a sliding escrow, the owners would say, well, fine, take another three weeks, take another month because it'll just come out of the percentage of escrow. They don't have that this year. And you gonna you got to get games on TV. Even if there's no fans in the stands, if they're still going to get paid one way or another, put them, in, put them on the ice and somehow try to get a season because of the TV money. Yeah, and we're actually uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of that uh, today on the show, about what the possibilities are, what the rumors are out there. And we're also going to have Justin Falk on oh, the good. show today. So we've kind of uh, we've gone through the, the blue line here lately. We had Colton Pareko and then certainly Craig Berube yesterday, Justin Falk. Uh, today on the show, and we're going to ask him, you know, where he sees himself in, in, on that blue line and what he thinks he needs to bring to the St. Louis Blues to have a bounce back season. Looking forward to it. Ribs, BK, Alex next. And Scotty, thank you. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on Scoops with Danny Mack here on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.